I'm Mike Gorman, and you're listening to the Celtics Pod podcast for Celtics Blog. Here's your host, Adam Taylor. (laughs) What's up, everybody? Happy Friday. Two-part episode again, as usual. This is becoming normal now. So for the first half of the show, we're going to talk about what's going wrong with Boston. The Atlanta Hawks game. As you see how serious my voice got there because of how serious the concerns that I have are. Anyway, jokes aside, I'm joined by Mr. Cody Shadowfrew. He's a friend of the podcast. I've been podcasting with him on and off for probably three, four years at this point. Cody, my boy, what's up, man? Hey, uh, the, the sky's still up. The sun's still shining. I haven't heard the doomsday bells go off yet. So it's a good, it's a good Friday. It's a good Friday. Well, technically Thursday when we're recording this. For the second half of the show, just so everyone's aware, I want to be joined by Mark Schindler from um, Indy Cornrows. That's a great preview for tonight's game against Indiana. But right now, I want to get into Cody's take on what's going on with the Celtics. It's tough. It's it's one of it's tough because while I don't think it's the worst situation they're in, like I don't think like we should blow it up. I don't think we should be trading all these hundreds of pieces. I think the Celtics are still in a decent place. It's okay to be frustrated. It's expected to be frustrated. This is a team that we've seen be one of the top teams in the East for the last, what, four or five years. And they're below 500 at this point in the season. However, I think it's one of everything that could have gone wrong is going wrong. You don't have an offseason. And you have four players who are new who are playing heavy minutes and Pritchard, Nesmith now, uh, Thompson and Teague. Didn't know the system. And it's a pretty complex system, both offensively and defensively. And they came in kind of cold. Thompson was hurt. Everyone's been hurt. What is it? Kemba, Jason, Jalen, and Smart have played, what, 20 minutes together all season? Kemba's not playing. All the rotations are mixed because everyone's hurt, and no one's playing consistent minutes all the time. So it's hard to – it's just everything is just kind of debacled right now. So I don't think it's such it's such a mystery why we're not playing well. However, we could be playing better still. It, it's a weird situation because you don't want to be too doomsday but you also don't want to be too, like, giving everyone the benefit of the doubt. You want to kind of have that happy medium. And it's, it's, it's just a weird place that the Celtics are in. Yeah, I mean, my biggest concern is if you look around the league, there's other teams dealing with injuries, probably not as bad as what Boston are, but some of them are significant. Um, previewing the paces uh, for the second half of the show, which I recorded before the first half, because you know, why not? One of the things that came to light there was, the Pacers are playing without TJ Warren. They're playing without Karis LeVert. And they're still a little inconsistent, but they're fourth in the East right now. They're at 0.500. Um, obviously, the gap between 2 and 11 is a very short gap, and things can change really quickly in the standings at the moment. A lot of teams are finding inconsistencies. But with the Celtics, for me, a lot of their issues come down to nothing but effort, right? So. The, the perimeter defense against Atlanta was very much an effort issue. You had guys sagging off when they should have been pushing up, guys getting blown by on pick and roll coverages. And then you had guys coming off the strong side corner to try and tag somebody. And it was just far too late, no effort going into it. Um, and then when they do have good possessions defensively, Trey Young just hits them with a dagger. Yeah. And you know, and to me, I can understand them when you're like, well, even when we're trying and we're doing everything right, this dude is still draining freeze in my dome. And that can be very demoralizing for a younger set of guys. Um, but 
it's definitely not what we've become accustomed to with Brad Stevens' teams. No, again, it, it goes back to the thing where I think it's it's it is an effort thing. Obviously, I think what if eight straight games or something with a perimeter player scoring thirty against them or some they have some ridiculous streak where they just let up thirty points and it's it's frustrating. And that's where I think you can have those concerns where. Are Jalen and Jason playing hard enough? Are the other role players playing hard enough? And I think that's very much an effort thing. I think if you also look at the team right now, without Marcus Smart, who's another plus perimeter defender? Jalen Brown, I think, is a little bit better on ball, but off ball he can get a little – in the past he's been a little just spacey off ball. He's a defensive player, or has at least been in the past. But other than that, you have Kemba. Is Pritchard a good defender? I think he gives effort, but – does he have the athletics and everything to to stay there? Nesmith can be, but I think he's young and you can see him just like over committing all the time and that can lead to some breakdowns. So you also have like, you know, you're playing, playing Carson Edwards and on on the nights where um, Kemba doesn't play. And then when Kemba plays, he's not exactly a defensive stopper. So it's also a thing where like without smart, they don't really have anyone. But again, I think it's a, an effort thing as well. I don't think that's to blame. I think it's more an effort thing. Are they giving the effort? I don't think right now, no. I mean, defensively for me, you can paper over cracks in terms of lack of physical tools and lack of, lack of yeah. athletic tools with effort. We've seen Brad Stevens' teams become a top 10 defense when they had no place being in that top 10, oh, yeah. simply because they were just upping guys' grills from start to finish. And part of that, like when Tristan Thompson came to this roster, as much as I was against the acquisition at the beginning, one of the things that I really liked about it and I wrote about it was the fact that he brought added toughness because after Mook left, after Marcus Morris left this roster, they were a little bit too nice for my liking. You bring Tristan Thompson in and now they've, you've got an, a secondary enforcer and he's showing that strength around the, around the rim and we're seeing him body guys on the offensive boards from time to time. But you need somebody on that perimeter as well and then you need somebody who can rotate over and really hit guys too. I'm not saying that we need to see NFL-level tackles, but at the moment, the Celtics as a unit are quite slight. They're quite um, skinnily built. There's not really too many guys you look at and think, man, that guy's a unit. Mm-hmm. And um, there's there's big issues there for me. Uh, offensively, I just feel like um, the lack of ball movement is stagnating. Um, a good point I've seen around is, well, outside of Tatum and Brown, uh, with Kemba playing as inconsistent and streaky as what he is, who do you really have to pass to? And my argument there is moving off ball and creating defensive um, collapses and break, bending that defense until it breaks. It doesn't matter who receives the ball if they're in an open shot position because they're in the NBA. They should be at a level to hit 35% of their open looks from deep, um, generally, unless we're talking about Taco Four, who should hit 0% of his open looks. Um, I don't know if you agree, but the stagnation on the offense, just it's just uh, it's called an angle pick and roll, right? Where you run a spread pick and roll from the wing. Um, and that's all we're seeing, one after another, one after another. And it is really dull basketball to watch, too. No, it is. And like someone who grew up, like when I started getting into basketball, that's when the Spurs were at their peak. And I'm kind of like a, ba- a bandwagon Spurs fan and closet Spurs fan because of that reason. You see what the Jazz are doing right now. Are the Jazz a top five talent team in the NBA? No, probably not. I would put five or six teams of pure talent. But they're playing the best basketball because they're passing around. Like, you watch that Jazz team, that looks like the Warriors teams of 
the last few years. That looks like the Spurs teams of 14 and before. Maybe not on that level, but it, they're still playing that. It's pass, 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 pass. The flip side of that is, like like, like you said, are the players that Jalen and Jason are or not passing to good enough players? I would say that right now, who has been playing the last few days, the bench talent hasn't been there. A lot of our bench players that we expect are either hurt or, or something else where they're not playing on a back-to-back like that. And also, like you have those two players who are both 25 to 28-point-per-game scorers as of what they've shown. You want them taking shots, and they can force a shot or two. That probably you shouldn't, but I think every team has a player that does that, and they've been fine. You know, we were arguing, uh, or not arguing, but I was talking to Dana in the group chat where I don't think Jalen and Jason have to be these super shot creators for others. I think you can have a player that can do that and not be them. I mean, right now you have Jason and Jalen are about four and a half and four re- uh, assists a game. And obviously assists aren't an end-all, be-all stat of passing, but they're still getting other players involved, mostly just because of the usage percentage. But you can have a guy, like if we take, for example, the Nuggets in 09. You have Carmelo Anthony, who's a ball-dominant scorer, who is not known for his passing. But you get that far because you have a Chauncey Billups, who can create for others and himself at on occasions, but he's the guy who gets other people involved. And obviously, you would love Jason to become this Larry Bird type, I-can-do-it-all guy. You would love Jalen Brown to be able to give you six assists. And he has shown to get a a plethora of assists a night. I have him on fantasy. I know. But (laughs) I don't think they have to be, you know? I don't think they have to be those guys. I don't think they have to be these seven-and-a-half-plus assists guys. You can get guys like that. Marcus Smart is someone who, when he's in the game, when he's playing well, He's playmaking for other players, and when we were really good and when we were playing really nice, that's what he was doing. He was giving you six to eight assists a game, letting Jason and Jalen do their thing, and they didn't really have to focus on that. I mean, look at Kawhi Leonard. Until basically this year, the year after, he hasn't been a good facilitator. This year, I think he's at like six or plus assists for the first time ever. He was really basically doing what Tatum does, and he gets assists due to usage percentage. But he's won championships, and he's been a top three to five player in the league for the past, what, six years or so? So I think there are ways to get around that. Passing should be up. I'm not saying that the way they're playing is perfect. They should be passing the ball more and trusting their teammates more. However, I don't think they have to become these eight assists a game guys to win. So do you think they're running these spread pick and rolls, angle pick and rolls, because there's no facilitator there at the moment, because there's nobody to tee them up? When they're playing off ball, because we see, we see when, when Kemba Walker's on his game and he's causing defenses to push up on him, you'll see Tatum come off Iverson screens. You'll see Brown come off hat pick him, um, dribble handoffs. And it looks a bunch more fluid. It starts opening up the baseline for guys like Shemi or Neesmith to start drifting in. So is this where we decide that maybe Kemba Walker could do with having a backup point guard behind him that is specifically there to um playmate like you know maybe that's maybe jeff teague isn't that guy because he's another score first guard that came in but if it was rage say the celtics picked up rondo instead of teague is this team in a better position once they're starting unit sits i think so i think if you look at the departure gordon hayward obviously departed but i think what he brought to the team more than anything was just another playmaker so I think obviously he was a good scorer at all three levels and he was a good defender, but I think the playmaking that he brought really, and we didn't replace that. 
I think we did a good job at shoring up positions. When Cantor left, we got Tristan Thompson to be a rebounder and a better uh, interior defender. Uh, you got Jeff T to come off and was his job was supposed to be scoring and being good, but we didn't make get a playmaker after that. And I think they were relying too much on what they had and where too much depth in maybe the last few years at some positions was seen as like this, oh, why do we have X amount of bigs and wings or whatever? It now it's, oh, two players are injured. Goodness, no one can pass the ball now. So I think that's that's the hindrance. And I think, like you mentioned, they're running these angle pick and rolls to kind of get them involved. I think it could be a little bit of an overcompensation. I think you have – I mean, Jalen and Jason are both good spot-up shooters and good isolation scorers, or at least that's where they like to do. And they've shown that they can get their – their points that way. I think they're best when they're attacking all three levels. I think both of them are really good mid-range shooters or have the ability to be. I think both of them can get to the rim pretty well. Tatum, I've always had this, why doesn't he use his body more? You know, his soft finishes and stuff like that. And I think once he misses two layups, he gets deterred and takes these 25-foot shots. I'm like, bro, stop that. But I think when they're in that rhythm, and I think they're just trying to get themselves there, but it's just not working. And then you have this bogged down offense where no one's passing. Everyone's upset. You have the, the things are being thrown in the locker room, I guess, but then also, no, I don't know. It's just tough. Like I don't like, you can see the issue, but then you just don't see where the solution is kind of, you know, but this is the problem for me, right? Like, I feel like you bring in Jeff Teague because Jeff Teague's that veteran voice that you need coming off the bench to replace Brad Wanamaker. Because Brad Wanamaker, for the fact he had veteran age, he was still uh, a sophomore in the NBA. He wasn't yeah. exactly, he wasn't experienced. So you bring in Jeff Teague, but then you go and draft Peyton Pritchard, which is basically everything you want Jeff Teague to be, but young. So he doesn't get tired as quickly. And he doesn't have the ego of a 12, 13, 14 year NBA vet. He's coming humble. So now Jeff Teague and what he was supposed to bring to the table, A, isn't required because you've got that from Peyton Pritchard and you'd much rather develop him because you've got him for the next four or five years, three, four, you know what I mean? Um, and now everything that Jeff Teague's doing wrong is amplified more because you're like, well, these minutes should be going to Pritchard and we picked. Teagues came in to give us this and he's not doing it. Maybe we should have looked at Rondo or maybe we should have looked at making a small trade to possibly bring in somebody like George Hill, which mm -hmm. I don't, I understand why people want Hill, but again, he's not the distributor that we're kind of saying. And we're not saying it has to be a guard, right? There's yeah. wings to that. Yeah. Someone that can play me. And that's where, for me, other than the lack of playmaking, whether that be in the first uh, starting lineup or the bench unit, the other issue to me is that just the glaring hole at four, dude. Like, mm -hmm. there's so many, like, uh, you can see as well, like, if you start Shemi Ojale there, then that's fine, but you're really losing out on a bit of size. Um, you're losing out on athleticism. So you can't run transition too much because outside of Jalen Brown, Javante Green and Robert Williams, two of those guys are on the bench. Where's your fast breakout that's coming from? And then you can, you can stretch the floor because Shemi's got that, but Shemi can't attack closeouts. So if you close out on Shemi quickly, that uh, that offensive advantage is dead. And that's one of the biggest things for me as well is what are they going to do to shore up that four position? When Smart's back, are they going to slide him back in and run with uh, Brown at the three and Tatum at the four? Or are they going to want to bring Romeo in after the, um, after the all-star break and let Romeo kind of work his way back to fitness just because of the 
the perimeter defense he brings and the fact that you're giving him minutes and he, they don't have to be big minutes, but he might actually complement everybody else around him due to the nature of his game and slashing. Or do you just decide, hey, Grant Williams don't fit here no more. Let's make a small move centered around Grant Williams to try and bring in somebody that can shore up this uh, starting lineup. I say you just put Romeo out there one versus five and win every game for the rest of the time. I mean, do, do not think that you're getting out of this podcast about doing your poem. I did find it. I did tell you. I did find my Romeo poem. So I'll, I'll, I'll uh, bless we'll end on that. We'll make sure to no. end on that. But um, it's interesting. I like Grant, and I think he worked really well last year. I really don't know what's going on with him this year. Um, maybe I just haven't been paying too close attention, but I know he hasn't been getting the minutes he was. I know last year he was on and off. Um, you know, he was going between the G, uh, the G League and whatnot. Um, but I do like Grant. I really don't want to give up on him, but it's a late uh, mid twenties round pick, like late twenties pick. Like he's not like supposed to be this huge guy. <sighs> Obviously, I think Romeo's a big X factor here. I think the minutes we saw from Romeo last year, when healthy, were at least good. I mean, he he played good defense, better defense than I would have thought. I think he was a little timid offensively, but when he did score and he did get, to, he got to the basket a couple times, he hit a couple shots. I think he was, he showed promise. Like I was picked in the lottery for a reason. I could be a lottery guy. Um, and I think he works well just with that perimeter defense from what we saw last year and what he could be this year. Um, I would love when Romeo comes back, obviously, you know, I love Romeo. I, I typed in my name here. Cody loves Romeo. I don't know if you can see that, but I did. Because I love, <laughs> I can see that people I, watching can't see that. People watching, but no, I love Romeo more than you do, and you're welcome. If you love Romeo, it's my my fault that he's here. So you're welcome, by the way. I mean, with Grant, what, the thing that I've looked at the most is is his lateral speed too slow to play at the four. And right. then, but, but then you look at last season where he was getting his minutes, and fifty five percent of them came at the four. Right. So it's not like he wasn't performing there last year. Yeah, you get I, yeah, and like towards the end, he 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 played really, really well. I mean, there's a reason he was in those late close up close out lineups for some of those Heat games and some of those other playoff games. Like, I think he can be good. I don't know what's what's going on. Maybe it's just a, a him thing. Maybe it's just like a it's a weird season. Also, I think we have to. It's a weird season. It's a season nonetheless, but it's still weird. Like, I don't think we could we should take this season to compare it directly to before COVID last season or the year before. I think this is still a little bit of a weird season, especially with all the games we're playing back-to-back-to-back and these three games and four nights and stuff like that and players going on lists because they could have had the virus or they do have the virus and this and that. It is a weird season. I think people forget that. It is a little bit weird. Again, not an excuse to be playing the way you are, but it is a little bit of a weird season. You can see that like some players are struggling and some players are just you know, been in the league for 10 years, this doesn't really matter to them. Um, but I would love to see Grant succeed. I think he just brings, so. I think, like, him in the short roll passing, I think he's he got really good at that, or at least better than the beginning of the year. He was hitting his threes at one point. Um, you know, the beginning of the season, well, he went 0 for 23 to start his career, but then he, like, hit at, like, a 45% clip the rest of the year or something stupid like that. Um, but I want him to succeed. I think he can be a really good glue guy, especially the way Brad likes to play his defense with that switchy stuff, with that really smart uh, rolls and stuff like that, and, and back helps and stuff. I think he can be really good, and I really don't want to get let him go. So my biggest thing with Grant is that he 
those se- that Heat series, yeah, where he was getting minutes in the closing lineups, that was primarily as the small ball five because he, yeah. he matches up really well with Bam. Mm-hmm. Um, but then if you look at his actual like performance at the four, was he only perceived as being a good power forward because he had someone like Gordon Hayward to help on the defense, you know? If you mess up, you've got Gordon Hayward rotating over to help for you. Instead of right now, if you mess up, you're relying on Neesmith to to be that guy to bail you out. And the level of defense between Hayward and Neesmith is so drastic that I think that cannot be understated either because if we're talking about not trusting guys on offense, then you probably don't trust those guys on defense either, right? I mean, it just makes sense to me logically. Yeah, I mean, no, that's 100% a super valid point. I mean, he's a little slow to play the four, way too small to play the five. It's, it's, it's a weird, Grant's in a weird position. But if there's a coach to make him work, I think it's Brett. And I think, again, I think this roster is constructed a little bit weirdly than it has in years past, obviously, with Teague not being a hit. Thompson, I think he's coming around, but in the beginning of the year, he, he seemed a little off. Um, it is a weird fit. And then with all these other guys being hurt, it makes players have to do more than I think they're capable of doing. And I, I bring this point, um, Rui Hachimura, and way left field here. But when we were doing, me and Brendan, uh, our good friend Brendan Nunes, we were doing um, some draft stuff that draft, and we were on some podcasts and doing some stuff. And I was talking about Rui, and people were really low on Rui to begin. I had him around the lottery. I thought he was still a good player. I saw his stuff that people, I understood the comments, like why you would have him slow down, but a lot of it was defense. And a lot of it was, well, he, he, he can't do this, he can't do that, he, he's not smart enough to move here or here. But I think there are some things you can learn defensively. And now we see Rui's at least at least decent defensively. Like I was I was looking at some of the like people that follow the Wizards, and it's like he's not bad defensively. Like he's not great. He's not this elite ball stopper, but he's also not a hindrance like people thought he would be. So I think some of those things that Grant can learn, like how to rotate, uh, where to be at certain situations, especially him being as smart as he is, because he's a smart kid. He's a bright, bright kid. He can move. Now, there are some things laterally. You can't just be more agile. You can't be bigger. You can't be taller. You can't be faster. That doesn't, that's not how that works. Like they say, you can't teach speed. You can't teach those things either. But you can just be super smart and have a 4 million IQ and just be in the right spots at all times. And he's still... Uh, what 21 he was a younger rookie even though he was a junior out in college like he was still a younger kid i think he can learn i think he can get there and i'm i'm not ready to give up on him yet. i think if you once everyone comes back and you have those perimeter players that you want playing on the perimeter that help out i think he can be a little bit so the one thing i want to pick up on and this is to move us away from the grant discussion a little bit yeah. was you noted if there was one coach in the league that is going to be able to put Grant in a position to continue improving and to become a valuable role player, it's Brad Stevens. That's the same coach that right this moment is under fire across Facebook, Twitter, Reddit, anywhere that there's social media, Brad Stevens is currently catching people. I'm a Brad guy, so I feel like I'm kind of biased here. I think that sometimes you can be a victim of your own success. Yes. And... I think that's exactly what's happening to Brad right now. What's your take on it? I think it's silly. Again, I'm, I'm a Brad guy too. And this might be a little biased, but I understand. And here's the part I understand. A lot of people are saying that Brad's lost the locker room. Jalen and Jason don't listen to him. Now, I don't 100% agree with that. I, I haven't seen enough that 
says that. I think a lot of the issues with their what people are complaining about those two doing not passing the ball, taking all these shots, not running this and that. I think it's we already covered that. It's overcompensating for a roster that might not be as good. And then you also add that a roster that might not be as good as years before, where I think Brad could have basically any team in the NBA and make and have them where the Celtics are right now. That just under 500, even the worst team in the league, he can have them playing way better than they are. I was about to start cracking a joke then, like he's going to drag teams down. Yeah, no, right. But, however, <laughs> I think, like we mentioned, there's so much going on this year. I think, and historically, Brad's had slow starts because he likes to, to do his, his uh, roster figuration, and he likes to say which lineups he likes better. And he, he experiments, and maybe sometimes, like, what are you doing? Just putting your best players. We're down by three with four minutes left. But his, his head is... This game in November versus the Mavericks isn't going to matter much, but seeing if Semi can run it late is way more important than this win at this moment. And he's done that. And we've, what, how many years have it, has it been where the Celtics are like fifth in the East at this point of the year? And we're like, what are we doing? And then we hit the All-Star break. We rattle off 20 out of 22. And we're now second in the East. And we're like, ha, ha, ha. All these other teams are not good because we're the Celtics and we're better than everybody. Like, I think this has been a, a recurring theme. It's a little more exaggerated this year, and I think that's where you get those, um, you know, that online backlash where it's a little bit more exaggerated this year, but I don't think it's anything out of the ordinary. And again, I think a lot of people have been hurt, so the rotations are not as co- cohesive as Brad wants them to be. And I think there's a lot more. I mean, you have your three best, your four best players. One of them hasn't played for, what, a month now-ish? The other one can't play back-to-backs. One of them has had COVID and he said multiple times, I get gassed because his lungs are just scorched. And your your fourth star, Jalen, his knee is kind of banged up and there are some times where you go into games like day to day. He might not play. So when your best players aren't playing well or aren't playing at all, there's a reason why you're not winning games. Again, I think some criticism could be deserved. Obviously, they should be better than what they're playing right now. They shouldn't be losing to the Pistons three times in a year. They shouldn't be losing to the Hawks even though it was a back-to-back. They shouldn't be losing to, to getting blown out by the Knicks. They shouldn't be doing this. However, I don't think – I think while Brad shoulders some of the blame, I think it's a collective effort. I think Danny deserves some of the blame. I think the players deserve some of the blame. I think Brad deserves some of the blame. I don't think there's one glaring party that deserves the overwhelming majority of the blame here. I think a lot of the times people hear what's said on a post-game interview and they take it for exactly what it is without giving context to it. So you'll hear Brad say, like, I've been preaching ball movement and we finally seen the ball move. And people hear that and be like, he's been preaching ball movement, the ball hasn't been moving, so he's lost the locker room. Right. Or Brad's like, you hear Brad on the sideline screaming, push, push, pace, pace, and the team walks it up. And everyone's like, well, Brad's telling them to run, they're not running, so Brad has lost the locker room. When realistically... If you don't feel like doing that, then you're not going to do it, right? Like That's just the way it is. If I'm gassed and my coach is yelling at me to run, I'm gassed, dude. I'm walking this possession because I know I'm going to have to sprint back on dick. Right. And there's, there's trade-offs to all of these things. Uh, but my biggest concern with all of it is, in terms of Brad, the only I'm a little bit concerned with his motivational skills just because, and I've said this on this podcast, I've said it on other podcasts, I've tweeted it, I think that, Losing Kara Lawson was an absolutely yeah. big, like enormous blow to this team. Um, the amount of respect that she commanded from the players, the fact that she was able to translate 
coaching um, schemes into something that the players could buy into because she's been there with them. And I know that they've brought Evan Turner in to kind of fulfill that role, but obviously he doesn't come with the pedigree of someone like Kyra Lawson. So maybe it's not Brad's lack of ability to motivate, but maybe Brad's um, not got the correct coaching staff around him. If you look at the Celtics coaching staff, outside of Evan Turner, none of them have played NBA basketball. Only yeah. two of them played at college level. Both of those were D3. There's just very little professional basketball um, experience within that coaching staff. That doesn't mean they're bad, and it doesn't mean you shouldn't listen to them, but it does mean that it's a lot harder to get new guys in to buy in quickly. You understand what I mean? Yeah. Oh, no, but- I get you. And I'm one of those guys where, like, if you know basketball, you know basketball. I don't care where you are. It's like all the time when, like, you know, in the NFL draft, you have this one guy who's, like, from Division Two and he's a baller. If you can play, you can play. I don't I don't care. And if you can coach, you can coach. And I think they have some really good minds there. But I think there is a little bit of truth to that. Obviously, like if you have a guy who's been in the NBA before and they know a little bit more, then I think I don't think it's such a huge issue where like, you know, oh, blah, blah, blah Danny and Brad want to have the entire voice. So they like suppress the voices. I, I don't think that's happening. And also, I think. You know, Boston, you look at the, there have been six coaches to win a, a championship in Boston. Doc Rivers, Casey Jones, uh, Bill Fitch, Bill Russell, Red Auerbach, Tommy Heinsohn. Bill Russell's Bill Russell. Red Auerbach's like the great, one of the top three greatest coaches of all time. Tommy Heinsohn was a super in your face, like super like intense dude. Casey Jones, there's, there's like, what, didn't he like fight uh, DJ in the locker room? Dennis Johnson, he like punched Dennis Johnson in the locker room. Like these, like Boston's like the super intense thing. And Brad's very laid back mellow. And I, I think it's more of a Boston in the past that's proven to work being this aggressive, like super motivational coach. But I think you can still be a really good coach and like have a tea instead of having a beer. If you, if you know what I mean, like you can be Brad Stevens and win basketball games and be really good. And I think he can get us over the hump. Maybe that's just me like giving him the benefit of the doubt and me just wanting him to. But I also think a lot of it is Boston. So used to these like super aggressive in your face coaches. And he's just not that. So they don't think he can win like that. You know? Yeah. People take him being laid back as apathetic and it right. them the wrong way. And I get that. But I also think there's a lot of value in, approaching things in a calm manner because it allows you to see the picture quicker than yeah. being heated and just headbutting everybody in front of you. I mean, yeah. don't get me wrong. If the Celtics announced that KG was an assistant coach tomorrow, I think a lot changes in terms of uh, player application on, on the floor because KG will be the guy to headbutt you if you're not playing well. Um, and I do think there's value in that, which is why if, Brad Steve, if any coaching changes were going to be made, I wouldn't advocate for it to be Brad, but I'd advocate for bringing somebody in alongside him with that, I wouldn't say experience, but that fire, you know? Someone like a KG or that's just going to get in your face on the sideline, he'll chew you out, and then Brad can be the guy to put his arm around you and be like, hey, if you were doing what we said, you wouldn't have got torn up right now, and then, you know, we would have all been happy. Good cup, bad cup, you know, like what you do with a kid. Right, yeah. I think it's just that's just his demeanor. Like the one thing that's been really getting under my nerves the last few days is Kemba Walker smiling after he misses a tough shot and people like thinking he doesn't care. Like people handle frustration. Like you can tell he's frustrated just because he's smiling doesn't mean he's happy about what happened. 
some people just get super angry and all they can do is just like laugh and like smile and like that's how they get rid of their frustration and anger. Just because Kemba Walker isn't suplexing referees after he mixes a shot doesn't mean he doesn't care about the game. That's just how he handles frustration. Like Boston loves like having their we're Boston, we're tough, we're gritty, and every single player that plays for any of their sports have to be that way. Every Bruin, every Patriot, every Red Sox has to be this dude that would punch you in a bar if you said that his shoes looked a little too small. Like, that's what Boston's been because we're just rowdy and obnoxious. But that doesn't mean, like, that's the 70s, the 80s, the 60s. Like, this is just different people are different people. Like, Brad, fun fact, is not from Boston. Did you know that? He's not. He wasn't raised to be this aggressive person (laughs) like I was. Like, he's – Kemba Walker is not from Boston. Fun fact. He's from New York, so maybe, like, there is a little aggression there. But, like, he's just a laid-back dude. And, like, I don't think you have to be this – super I'm gonna punch a wall if I miss two free throws guy like you can be upset and angry and like I should have hit those free throws but you don't have to like again suplex a ref because of it I mean my outlook on that I agree completely um I find it funny that you had to remind everyone Brad is not from Boston he's not Um, from fun fact not from there and I get it I get why people get upset and I understand why it's rubbing guys up the wrong way and we spoke about this. I had somebody who covers the Pelicans on after the Pelicans game. And he was saying to me, if Kem- Kemba smiles like he's about to ride a Ferris wheel after he misses a shot, like he just looks delighted. And he was like, that would rub me the wrong way. And I was like, sometimes it will rub me the wrong way. Bearing in mind, I'm watching games at 2 a.m. in the morning. If you're losing, I'm already upset because I'm going to bed angry. You know what I mean? So it changes the narrative for me a little bit. But no, I agree. I think that Brad's going to be able to figure this out. And for me, again, if there was going to be a coaching change, it'd be in the assistant variety rather than the head coach variety, which leads us up to the end of the show. But before we go, Cody has a poem. Now, Cody read this poem out um, 18 months ago, the day that Romeo Langford was drafted on an old podcast that we used to do together. Um, You guys, Cody will be on here, not all the time, but he'll be showing his face probably once, twice a month, maybe. Um, but before you go, just so you can get to know Cody, here was Cody's ode to Romeo Langford. So if you don't know already, I am the the being that willed the universe to give us Romeo Langford. And this now, is facts. This is facts. Like, look at my Twitter. I've been I was on the Romeo train like the beginning of the season. When he fell to us, like I was mocking him to us. Like, I love Romeo. And this is a poem called Call Me Juliet, because I love Romeo. Call me Juliet, because I love Romeo. And with the red claws, he has found a homeo. Now, this was written a little while ago. I hope he plays well with the duo of waterfall meo. He needs the minutes to prosper and get his legs in full gear. And if he plays really well, his time may be near. And trust in the garden, I will be there to cheer. The prophecy was fulfilled when he came to this city. Look at my timeline, dog. I was lit as I called it too. You can call me the Swami, because I love you, Romeo. Call me Juliet. <laughs> I'm just. I have a way with words, and that. Was- oh, I'm telling you guys, if you're listening to that and you're not laughing, I don't know what's wrong with you. When Cody first read this out last year, he was on. He was doing like slam poetry to end every episode. At one point, um, he, we recently retweeted one, which was the other one. That it was, was Aaron Baines. Aaron Baines one back when my life was full. 
Isn't that just after they traded Baines? Or it was just it? after. It was like my ode to Aaron Baines after he got dealt, and I was just upset. And it was, I think we were talking about like trade candidates for the Celtics of that year. I was like, oh, Aaron Baines would fit really well with this team. Do you have that one on hand for any chance? Uh, I, I let me let I believe I do. I think let me just do a little. I can give a double poem today, Aaron Baines poem. Here we go from February seventeenth, so just over a year ago. Maybe we'll save that for next time. How about that? Yeah, we can do that next time. That's not a problem, uh, guys. After the break, I'll be joined by March and Lou of Indie Cornrows. Uh, make sure you go follow Cody. He far too little people follow Cody. Cody's a, a comedic genius. Cody, where can they find you on Twitter? Uh, at Cody Shalafu 33 So if you're watching, you see my little name. It's just that with 33 on it. So, hey, I, I say some wild stuff, but I think I'm smarter than the average bear. I like to think so, at least. Guys, <laughs> Cody, thanks for jumping on. Guys, I hope you enjoyed this. Make sure to leave that five-star written review. After the break, I'll be joined by Mark Schindler of Indy Cornrows, and we're going to talk about what we're expecting to see from Indiana. I know we've seen them before already this season, but Mark's really good at breaking stuff down. Covers the team on a daily basis. There's some great insight there too. So catch us again in about 30 seconds. I'm joined by Mr. Mark Schindler from Indy Cornrows, also of Premium Hoops. Mark's, in my opinion, one of the better NBA analysts on um, Twitter, uh, across social media, across SB Nation, does great work on everything he's doing. If you're not following him, then definitely reach out and follow him. Um, Mark, man, how's it going? I'm really good, Adam. How are you doing, man? I know it's been a little bit since we've, uh, gosh, we haven't done a pod in a while, but I'm, I'm glad to hop on and uh, talk some hoops with you, man. I think the last one we did was like a, a 10-man fantasy draft. Yeah. Oh, gosh, that's been that's been forever. Yeah, I, I didn't think about that. That's a, yeah, it's, it's been a minute, so it's good to reconvene a little bit. It's um, it's been a while since we last spoke. There's been a pandemic. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. Like, oh man, uh, uh, yeah. A lot of things have changed, man. Um, we had a bubble. We had um, a very short off season, and now we've had a truncated season. Uh, for the team you cover over at Indy Cornrows, you've had a new head coach. Um, a will they, won't they, Russ and Rachel between the Boston Celtics and Pacers with Hayward and Miles Turner. There's been a lot of crazy stuff going on. How's it going over in Indiana? How's the new coach going? How's the season going for you? Um, it's been kind of a tale of two seasons. Um, so the team started off eight and four. They were looking really good. Uh, Victor Oladipo was healthy and, and playing pretty well. Um, uh, everything was just kind of clicking. Uh, and then the team decided to move on from Victor Oladipo, which makes sense. Um, my impression, they didn't come outright and say it. They've always been pretty subliminal with it, but they did not think Victor was going to resign. So they decided to hop in on the James Harden trade when they saw the opportunity to get Karis LeVert. They did it. And basically my way of looking at it that I've been trying to explain to fans and somehow it still hasn't come across, uh, even though we've gone through, you know, a month and a half since the Oladipo trade. When you trade a sub all-star level player like Victor, he was playing at a borderline all-star level for, um, if you trade him and then you essentially get no one back because Karras is still out with injury, um, which also thank, thank God that he's okay. That's that stuff was pretty frightening. Um, but when you, when you lose that kind of player and you don't add anyone to the rotation, uh, I would have, what's, what's happened is what I expected. I'm still like, this is where I thought the Pacers would be even with Victor. I thought they'd be around a 500 team um, because I didn't, I didn't think Victor was going to be as good as he was uh, health wise coming out. Um, 
But yeah, I think that would be ultimately how I feel about the team right now. Um, things have looked good with Nate Bjorkren. The only really big question mark has been uh, minutes distribution. Uh, Demonis Bonus and Malcolm Brogdon are both in the top five, top top eight in minutes played in the league right now, um, which is a little bit concerning. Uh, the rotation hasn't been very deep. They're normally running an eight-and-a-half-man rotation. Um and the half is like somebody getting like five minutes. So how much does that actually count? Um, and the defense has been uh, interesting because they've completely reworked it, even though the team was a top five defense last year. Um, and it's been hit or miss. You know, in some ways it's been good. Other ways it's been uh, really a little bit confusing. Like you have the Monis Sabonis is up pressuring at the top of the key. And sometimes it makes sense, but other times like he's out pressuring Draymond Green or uh, – Andre Drummond, like complete non-shooters. And it's just, uh, it's a little bit questionable. And it it results in a lot of guys getting out of position um, and not necessarily to their their fault. But, you know, when you force your defense into rotation a lot like that, it just, uh, it relates in, I mean, results in a lot of uh, a lot of things that you have to clean up. And luckily, Miles Turner has been fantastic this year. Like, without Miles, this team's probably 20th in defense, um, if that. So he's had an awesome year. But overall, it's just been, kind of waiting until you can actually see the team fully together is how I would put it. So uh, incomplete season so far. I mean, the first thing we need to touch on is Karis LeVert, right? I mean, because that was an act of God. That trade literally could have saved his life at that point. Yeah. Um, but he's getting better, right? That He had uh, a yeah, he's, successful. He's, uh, he's actually back on court. He's uh, participating in non-contact drills currently. He's running like five on O offense, not doing anything. Uh, defensively yet, so I have no idea when he'll be back. They haven't given a timetable, but yeah, the fact that he's even on the court now, like I wasn't sure he was going to play this year. Um, so the like that he's even back on the court is kind of remarkable. Um, TJ Warren is out of his boot now because he had plantar fasciitis. Um, yeah, so he's out of his boot after getting surgery, but he is not practicing yet. Um, so I'm not sure if he'll be back this year. Uh, again, no timetable on it, but yeah, with Karis, just like you mentioned. Um, that that even like that the trade happened for him was pretty incredible. Also, really frightening to think about. Like, if I mean, he just dropped he, he dropped forty three points in one of his last games before he got traded to Indiana, and then he has the physical. So, like, there are no signs whatsoever that he had any problems going on in his body. And if you really think about it, I mean, until he starts showing symptoms, or maybe not even until the next time he gets a physical, which could be in you know seven eight months. Uh, it's just pretty it, – it's really fortunate that things worked out the way that they did. Yeah, he's um, very, very lucky. Um, incredibly lucky because, as you say, until you're showing symptoms – and sometimes you don't show symptoms until yeah. it's borderline too late already. So it's a uh, it's very, very, very lucky guy. Yeah. Moving on to – um, I want to talk about Miles Turner a little bit. I feel like Celtics mm -hmm. fans listening um, feel like Miles Turner is the one that got away. Um in my opinion, they were never that close. So he never got away. He just didn't turn up. Here's the, here's the date that um, organized prom with you and then took your best friend instead, right? <laughs> so, yeah. um, when you're looking at Miles, like last year, he struggled a bit because he was placed in a position where he's not the only starting big in the in the lineup now. He's been placed um, alongside Sabonis. And his numbers kind of took a hit, but it was very understandable as he's learning to play alongside Sabonis and play alongside another big in general. This year, he seems to have just been on a tear, uh, blocking shots at a great rate. His three-point shooting looks good. Uh, what what would you kind of 
attribute this success to? Do you think it was just a learning curve for him last year? Or has he improved on certain aspects of his game that's rounded him out more? Yeah, I mean, a lot of people uh, put some of the onus for Miles' offensive struggles on Nate McMillan. Um, and I didn't really think it was entirely fair. Um, I think Nate McMillan's a much better coach than people give him credit for. Uh, a lot of it's just been Miles has been a lot more confident and he's sped up. The game has slowed down for him, but he's sped up his processing and um, how he's attacking things. Like he's been just so much better in every facet offensively. He's not checking out his shots as, as often. Um, he just feels a lot more comfortable in his role for sure. Um, so I, I think a lot of it has been personal improvement from him. Uh, I mean, I, I guess the scheme has helped as well. He's been pretty involved. Um, but ultimately, I would say it's just been like probably like 80-20 on him um, because a lot of it is just if, if he'd been doing some of the stuff last year, it would have shown as well. And as you mentioned scheme, one of the things that I like to kind of, whenever I'm previewing a, a game like this, one of the things I like to do is talk about how your team lines up offensively. Are you more of a penetration team or do you like to do your work around the perimeter? What seems... Like, um, so for example, the Hawks, the Hawks are very much, um, drag screen and then either get set up to pull up off the screen or to let Trey Young drive, cause the collapse and then dish, right? Um, what's your predominant, um, offensive setup? Are you guys using like double big screens or are you utilizing more dribble drive penetration? Cause you guys have got Brogdon, who, in my opinion, is one of the most underrated guards in the league. Yeah. Um, so a lot of a lot of dribble penetration. Um, like they will run double drags, um, a lot of stagger screens. Uh, they do a ton of stuff to get uh, some weak side action going for uh, for shooters off curl screens. Um, but I'll, I mean the the bread and butter of the offense is is uh, Domas and Malcolm Brogdon in the pick and roll. Um, their their two man game is a lot of the offense, and unfortunately. Part of the problem has been there hasn't been a, th a third guy who's been able to really solidify themselves, and that's not really on them. It's just uh, there isn't really a third guy who can handle a, a huge amount of offense right now. Um, so that was an, off an issue last night against Golden State. Like The defense played really well, honestly, but the uh, the offense really bogged down, especially in the fourth quarter. And you know, I mean, credit to Golden State. Their defense is really good this year. Um, but they've uh, – I mean, like you're talking about with Indy right now, I'm pulling up the stats. I believe they are still, I didn't check after last night. I want to say, yeah, they're still first in the league in rim attempts in the, in, in the NBA. They're taking 43% of their shots at the rim. They've cut out most of their mid range shots. Um, the, they've been only 19th in threes this year, but a lot of it's been more just because they're trying to get so much generated at the rim. Um, so a lot of it is Malcolm or TJ McConnell is factored in heavily this year in, uh, in controlling the offense, just trying to drive to the rim and get open looks from there. Um, because part of the issue, too, is like as good of a driver as Malcolm Brogdon is, he's finishing like below 50% at the rim this year, which is abysmal, frankly. Um, and I, I still haven't really – I mean, we're not asking him why he's struggling to finish at the rim because that would be uh, – that's not really something you can ask a player – um, I mean, I guess it is, but it would be like, that's, I, I, I don't know. You, you get what I'm saying. That would be something uncomfortable to ask a player. He's shooting 48% at the rim right now this year. Um, and that's kind of a continuation of where he was last year, but he's been really good from three, of course, continuing to be lights off from mid range. Um, his floaters look better this year. He's taking things better off the dribble. Uh, but ultimately there just is, uh, there's never like I, the, the team has really struggled to find their shot 
uh, in the fourth quarter, partially because I think they're gassing out because of how much Malcolm and Domas are playing. Um, but also, I mean, like like I mentioned, they're just really missing a third guy who can uh, kind of create for himself because it's been either Domas or, or Brogdon's trying to get it going, and um, they haven't had it at, of late. Um, just because I think they're, I, I was counting this up in my head last night. I think they're four and seven in their last eleven games, have really just struggled uh, down the stretch. And a lot of that's going to be obviously you lose Depot, then you get yep. Harris Levert. He's he's out. T.J. Warren, who was Bubble Jordan, is out too. Yep. Um. So those struggles are expected, right? Like, but you're still staying um, relatively competitive. Uh, I know you had a tough loss to the Warriors um, last night. We're recording this on Thursday, so you had a loss to the Warriors on Wednesday. Mm. Yeah. So yep. um. You know, you're still staying competitive. The one thing that you've mentioned there that really concerns me is you're doing a lot of, um, you're coming off the pick and roll and then running off ball actions to get corner, um, weak side corner action going. The Celtics are going to have their worst nightmare dealing with that because at the moment they're, um, their defensive rotations are real bad. They're, um, overhelping on the, um, low weak side eyes. So like the low corner man's overhelping a bit too much. And, um, Atlanta really took advantage of that in, uh, Wednesday's game themselves. So that's something that really concerns me, especially when you've got two bigs as well that are going to draw the focus of guys like Daniel Tyus, Tristan Thompson. And the Celtics seem to try and flood the rim on defense just to try and um, protect it a little bit more, which is opening up a lot of uh, perimeter shots at the moment. So that does that's a big concern of mine. Uh, the other thing is as well, you the Celtics just don't have the size, in my opinion, to match up well against you guys. Um, both Sabonis and Turner are some of the better um, non-superstar bigs in the league. Uh, I feel like they're tier two, right? Like right behind it. Uh, and I think that's a fair fair comparison for them at the moment. Um, the Celtics, however, do not have a tier two big. They probably, they're probably they very lucky if you can even class Daniel Tice as a tier three big. Um, I think that he's going to be a factor in this game just because of the spacing that he provides. But I feel I've just got this inkling that Nate Bjorken's going to be really innovative with his defensive schemes and figure a way to nullify them. Um, luckily, Kemba Walker will be back for this game after missing the Atlanta game because he doesn't play back to backs. How have you guys been defensively? Like, are you seeing a lot of box and one? Are you seeing some really funky triangle and two? What are we seeing? Yeah. Um, so a lot of the defenses, it's a heavy ball pressure scheme. Um, and they're trying, like, they'll, it's a little bit um, – I don't want to – I mean, it is gimmicky, frankly, in some ways, and it's been a, a little bit frustrating because I think 90, 90 to 95% of what they do is really great on the defensive end. But I think there's also some room to try and be a little bit more conservative, run more of a drop scheme because they really aren't. Um, I mean, Miles, they'll, they'll play him in center field mostly, and I'm comfortable with him doing that. I think he's really good at doing that. He's one of the better pick-and-roll defenders as a big in the league. Um, but the problem is there's nobody else who can rotate weak side and really do anything because if you're pressuring the ball with Domas and Miles is playing center field, then you have Doug McDermott or Justin Holiday or, or Malcolm Brogdon rotating weak side. That's just not doing anything in terms of a rim deterrent. Um, so I think there are some ways where they could try and uh, make that work better. What I'm mostly concerned about, and I always bring up Boston when talking about this team and um, – especially looking at closing lineup uh, defense. Like we've seen, I mean, the games, I don't have like the numbers in front of me, but the games between Pacers and Boston have been really tight and important uh, over the last two years. Um, and I think we saw this, the, the last game before the hiatus last year was against 
the Celtics. Um, and we saw in that game uh, a full – I don't even think the Celtics were fully healthy. I think Jalen was out in that game. But you saw them able to run when Gordon was still there. If you can run four smalls and a big, I mean, that's already doing a lot to, to give the Pacers problems because, well, they can do a, a nice job containing the initial um, initial attack. Um, so, like, if Kemba drives in and they trap him and he kicks the ball around, well, it automatically sends the Pacers into rotation and they start scrambling, and that's where they really run into problems. Um, like, they're good at containing the initial action, but then the second or third subsequent action is what really kills them. And, uh, I mean, that was an issue last night, and I think it's going to be a major issue against Boston. Um, I mean, they had – what I'm interested to see is, like, TJ Warren played in both games – against Boston in that series earlier this year. Um, he's obviously not going to be in this game. They're not going to have Karras. So I I just think size-wise they're going to have issues guarding Jalen and, and, and Tatum. Um, like Malcolm guarded Tatum last game. Uh, I mean, both the last two games when they played. And it's a lot to ask him to do that offensively. I mean, to ask him to do that defensively and then carry the load he's going to have to defensively. Um, or, I mean, oh, gosh, I can't – I'm crossing everything up. You get know what I'm saying, though. Um, yeah, completely. And then, going. yeah, and I mean, Jalen has been so good this year too. Like what he's doing, coming off screens and uh, getting to his spots, like that's going to be tough to guard. He's, uh, I think, Justin Holiday will probably end up on Jalen, and, and Malcolm will take Jason again. But uh, point being, like, I think that's it, just having to defend two wing guys who are that quality, um, especially athletically, when the Pacers don't really have anybody who can match up one on one. Is going to be a problem late game, um, just because we've seen that. But I, I, one thing that I do think will be good, or at least be in the Pacers' favor. Unfortunately, Marcus Smart is out. Um, not having to worry about other guys who are spacers. Like Marcus isn't shooting super well from three, but he shoots enough, and you know that he can hit them. So you have to defend him. Um, I, I guess it'll just depend who the fourth guy on the floor is that's a spacer. I mean, Tice has shot well from three, but again, like I still think you can play off of him a little bit. Um, and, and still, like, be comfortable closing out onto him. But uh, ultimately, like, yeah, trying to the, – the the Celtics are going to have the two best players in this game, like Jason Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. I guess you could maybe try and make an argument for uh, for Domas being in the same ilk of, uh, of Jalen Brown in terms of, like, tier or wherever. But I, I still think Jalen's had a better year and he's probably a little bit better of an all-around player. But, uh, yeah, I mean, that's what, that's what I would argue. My biggest concern – when going up against a team that's got a coach that's coming from a Nick Nurse coaching tree, as you said, 95% of their defense is good. Um, 5% is gimmicky. That's fine. You can live with 5%, right? I mean, it, there's teams out there that are going to be screaming for 95% solid defense. Yeah. Um, Boston being one of them at the moment. When you're talking about how you guys are going to match up with JT and JB, um, at the moment, the biggest narrative surrounding the Celtics is how stagnant the offense is, simply because they're just relying. They're running a lot of angles, angle pick and rolls, um, coming up and spreading it on the wing, and then it's literally just isolation once you come off that pick and roll. Um, there's no weak side ball movement happening, very little cutting action happening. It's just Jason Tatum or Jalen Brown, dribble drive penetration, try and score. So... Atlanta have kind of figured this out and what they were doing where they were trapping, they were closing the pa passing lanes and trapping guys down on the block. And um, it caused Tatum to go four for 20. Um, shocking, not surprisingly, some of Tatum's worst shooting nights this year have come against Atlanta. Mm -hmm. um, how much are you guys doing that sort of thing, like um, trapping guys down on the block and forcing them into really tough makes? 
a lot, but they uh, the Pacers, I believe, are like bottom five per synergy in terms of uh, defending on 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 traps in the post, um, which is a total random stat. But you can you can credit Caitlin Cooper on that one. She always pulls that one out. Um, fantastic writer, way better than me. Um, guys should definitely follow her work. She's fantastic. Um, but like just what you're mentioning, not to not to go off of what you're saying, but I, I do have a question for you based on this. Um, cause I've caught a lot of the Celtics recently. Um, and I mean, I, cause I love watching the Celtics. So Jason and Jalen watching them kind of transform has been really cool. Um, you know, there was this, uh, this thing that came out yesterday. A lot of people are, are putting the onus of this, uh, this losing streak and, and where the Celtics are at on Jason and Jalen. And I just don't really find it fair. Um, and this is me coming as an outsider from what I've seen, um, I mean, like, who are they supposed to kick the ball to? Like you mentioned, I do think the, the motion in the offense could be better, but I, it's, it's not like Brad Stevens isn't running innovative stuff to get them open. Um, and I think a lot of it just comes down to, like, if you're kicking the ball to Shemi Ojale in the corner, I mean, the what Shemi's shooting well this year, but he's not really – like, I wrote about this yesterday. Um, he's getting better. It, like, he's starting to become more comfortable attacking off the close, but he's still not capable of doing that. I mean, how many guys on the team are capable of attacking a closeout right now? Like two other than Jason and Jalen. Even then, it's not a regular thing. The spacing is just not good outside of those two. Um, Kemba hasn't been himself yet. Uh, I think he's looked more fluid athletically. Like he looks better than he did in the bubble, but that's not saying a lot. Um, <laughs> like I, I just I, I think some of this, I mean, would you agree that some of this just comes down to the, the roster being where it's at? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I don't buy into this. Um, it's Jalen and Jason's fault either. I yeah. do think that everybody has a share of blame that they need to be willing Definitely. to shoulder. Um, I feel like a, if we, if you're looking at Brown and Tatum, then sometimes I feel they're looking up open looks more for their own shot because, and to me, that breeds like a, a narrative of we don't trust our guys. Like mm-hmm. if you've got Aaron Neesmith open on the wing and he's came into the league, um, widely considered the best, uh, spot up shooter in the draft and he's open you feed him the ball and you live or die with the results of that while he gets used to the nba game but overall this is a raster construction issue there's far too much youth on the raster and um, far too many of them are limited in terms of um, offensive diversity and shot profile so you can have a guy like grant williams but realistically grant williams is He's a tweener, right? And we know that tweeners are in, in vogue right now because Draymond Green kind of... And there was a great... Did you ever read that article on Yahoo Sports about tweeners? Yeah, yeah, it was really good. Fant- yeah, fantastic article. And um, I think that if you're going small and you're having a small ball five, Grant Williams is probably one of the most ideal guys to roll out there. But when you've got a big man rotation, it's um, Tyce Thompson and uh, Rob Williams... Where do you fit Grant Williams in? You have to give him minutes at the four where he, he can't attack closeouts. He's literally just resigned to being a spot-up shooter. Shemi Ojale, as you mentioned, is exactly the same. Uh, the only guy, really, that I'm super confident with off that bench at the moment is Peyton Pritchard and Robert Williams. Yep. Be- beyond that, um, Romeo's sorry, not Romeo, Aaron Neesmith is starting to show that he can be a valuable player in, at this level. But even then, it's such a small sample size, and you know that there's going to be more ups and downs in the coming months that there's just not enough experience that um that you can lean on so how like you say how are jason and jalen meant to react when if you've teed up neesmith four times in a row and he's bricked all four you're gonna start looking up him at some point 
thinking we need to get back in this ball game. So it's definitely it's a really tough situation for the Celtics at the moment. Yeah, definitely. Um, and it's interesting too. Like, how have you felt about Tristan Thompson this year? Because I felt like I mean he's he's been fine. I don't think he's been like groundbreaking or anything, but um, I think just watching. I mean, they're running double big a lot now, which is just so weird to see. Um, and I think Time Warrior is showing some like good stuff. Of course, he's still young and he makes a lot of mistakes, but um, it just feels like the team is missing a wing, like a wing away pretty much, um, which is, of course, reductive to say with, with Hayward being gone. But um, it's just really been apparent this year in watching them. And I think Neesmith has shown some nice stuff, but what, how have you felt about his defense? I haven't... Uh, I mean, he's he's gotten some very tough assignments to be fair like he had to guard Brandon Ingram the other day that was not in his favor um but defensively I haven't I haven't loved what he's doing yeah well um, weak side uh rotating over from the weak side I feel like uh he's quite that's where most of his defensive value comes in because he's yeah. just hustling his butt off right now like um he's just clawing and scrapping for any minutes that he can win and Brad Stevens loves it when guys are throwing themselves on the floor and diving into um, rear view blocks and stuff. So Neesmith is doing exactly what he needs to do to earn minutes at this point. He's still getting cooked on the perimeter. Um, I feel like he's one of the only guys that looks like he consistently cares on defense. Um, that's been an, uh, something that's bothered me. You'll see like um, Jason Tatum against uh, Dallas the, the other day. He was trailing a pick and roll. Um, went under when he should have gone over and then literally just gave up on chasing chasing the ball handler and just basically soft switched onto the uh, popped big. Um, so there's times where other guys look like they're just defeated in the play. And Ro- Sorry, I keep I want Romeo about that bad. I keep referring <laughs> to Neesmith as Romeo. Um, Aaron Neesmith is just fighting fighting his way through, but I just don't, there's, only, there's a limited amount of value that comes with that hustle if yeah. you're not defensively... Um, if you're not ready defensively, you're not ready, right? You can you can mask it with hustle, but eventually you're going to get exposed. Yeah, no, I I would totally agree with that. And then you asked about Tristan Thompson, right? So like, um, I was never part of the the Celtics and the Tristan Thompson crowd. I was very much on the if we're going for a big, I want Derek Favors or Noah. Um, and I think that Celtics let that slip through the net a little bit. I don't think they even reached out to inquire because they were too wrapped up in the. Uh, Gordon Hayward discourse and trying why are you going to reach out to try and get Derek Favors is just a possibility that you're getting Miles Turner now you're going to be way too overloaded uh, mm-hmm. so that slipped through uh, I'm just a huge Derek Favors guy uh, but they definitely definitely need a wing and I think until they can figure that out whether or not they're waiting for Romeo to come back and so they can start sliding people up a position and see what that does that that might be what they're trying to do but at the moment there's definitely moves that need to be made otherwise uh they'll be lucky to make the second round of the playoffs to be honest yeah no it's uh it's similar with indiana like their trajectory has changed so much for me um i thought you know beginning of the year if like their goal is to make the second round of the playoffs i thought and now if they can make it a six or seven game series in the first round i think uh that's probably their ideal trajectory so do you, do you think Boston's going to make moves this year, though? I mean, it feels yeah. like if it's going to happen, it's going to be this year. Uh, we always think that there's going to be a move that happens. Um, and it, it it seems like if there's going to be a year, it's this year. So the owner was on the radio yesterday, on Wednesday, mm-hmm. um, 98.5. And he basically said there's more value in the summer to use this TPE, this big TPE. And there's a possibility that the Celtics wait until the summer. 
uh, Danny Ainge goes on radio and says, no, we definitely, we're not where we need to be. And this roster isn't good enough. So there's two very conflicting points of view from an owner and a, um, the president of basketball operations. I'd expect, uh, even if it was just a small move, just um, something along the fringes, maybe they're not happy with Jeff Teague, which they should not be happy with. <laughs> yeah, he is, uh, uh, he's been rough. Uh, yeah. Maybe they try and uh, talk Atlanta into taking Teague for Rondo, simply because Teague plays half decent in Atlanta compared to anywhere else in the world, apparently. Um, beyond that, I just don't know. I'd love Harrison Barnes. Uh, I don't see the appeal of going for Nikola Vucevic, if I'm quite honest with you, uh, simply because of his age and his contract. But there's definitely got to be something. Otherwise, it'll probably be be a seven-game series in the first round between Atlanta, um, Indiana and Boston because you guys are so high up and Boston is so far down, it could actually work. Yeah, well, I mean, it could change so quickly right now. Like, you just look at the standings. Like, Indiana's 15-15, and 15, but um, I think, yeah, Toronto's 16-17, and 17, Chicago's 15-16, Charlotte's 15-16, and Boston's 15 and 17. And then you have both the Knicks and Miami are there tied with you guys in the eight seed too. Like um, it, it could change so quickly. Like I think all the teams from the four seed to the 11 seed are within two games of each other. Like it's ridiculous. Um, and also too, like, I don't, I don't think that the East is bad this year. I think it's just been a lot of injuries and teams have been completely slammed by the health and safety protocols. Um, which not sit, I mean, they should be if, if that's what's going on. We could even debate whether or not the season should be happening right now. But uh, regardless, like, I, it's just the way that the East is shaping up, it could be so different in a month. Um, I really don't know how to analyze where every team is at. It's a, it's a very vexing time in, in trying to figure that out for me. Yeah, the trends are just so difficult to kind of follow and form a, a cohesive opinion on. Like, um, it's a lot easier for teams that are perennial challengers. So, like, it's easier for me to say you can form an opinion on Brooklyn, you can form a, an opinion on the Lakers, yeah. possibly even the Clippers. But what you can't do then is go and form an opinion on Miami that are really struggling at the moment and they're slowly figuring stuff out. Same as Boston, same as Indiana. And I think a large part of this is usually when a team's going through a rough patch, you can figure that out in practice, right? Like you can have a day or two where you're just together as a team and you're drilling and drilling and drilling and you, you start ironing somebody. There's no practice schedule. It's like once in a blue moon at the moment. Yeah, so, like nobody's practicing. It's been exactly. Like once or twice a week. It's been uh, rough for a lot of the teams in terms of getting actual practice time. And I think that's why we're seeing so many um, crazy games where, team, where any team is beating any team on every given night because you're trying to implement micro adjustments to your schemes whether it be offensive or defensive and there's just not enough practice time to make those muscle memories so you're consistently falling short of what the scheme requires of you and then you're getting breakdowns defensively and you see it no matter which game you're watching and in a normal season you'll see that but this year it just seems to be amplified yeah yeah 100 percent. and uh it's uh yeah i mean like too like even just looking through stuff like i mean guys are getting announced out like couple hours before or not even a couple hours before a game but like like you can go if you go back through just on like like a, the, a, my app right now like the score like if i go back and look at like okay well what games are should i go back through and, and watch from like the last day or two and then you have to realize oh hey like you know kd didn't play in this game Kyrie didn't play in this game like uh anthony davis is out like it's uh like i mean the jazz played an awesome game last night but like the lakers are missing two of their best players um you have to factor that in like it's yeah, it's very different. Um, 
I guess, okay, so I do have one last question I want to ask on Boston. Um, how do you feel about Brad Stevens? Um, because I've, I've seen a lot of stuff thrown out about him right now oh, man, that I right. don't necessarily disagree with, but I, I, I still think he's a really good coach. Um, but, but what are your thoughts on that? Uh, ideally, look, in terms of offensive scheme, I think that we're not seeing the Brad Stevens that we saw in the first three, four years of his um, tenure in Boston. I think that he's become very predictable in the way he's running the offense. And I think that he's got way more in his um, playbook than what we're seeing at the moment. And I don't know whether that's partly because he likes to play things close to his chest until closer to the playoffs where everything usually comes together. Um, But at the moment, his motivational skills are what have really come under question. Mm. Um, You know, you can live with the ISO ball. You can live with the, pick and roll, reset, pick and roll, because you know that you're working towards something more fluid later in the year. We see most seasons, but not being able to fire your guys up, um, consistently being heard shouting to push and to, to really up the pace to ice pick and rolls and watching the team not respond to that and just basically tune you out. Um, that's where the criticism's coming in. And as m- I'm a very big Brad Stevens fan, I, my opinion is there's only... Uh, a small pool of coaches that are better than him that are currently in the NBA and are young. Mm-hmm. And I don't think any of them are available. So I think the best coach available is the one that's already in the hot seat. But the the lack of motivational skills from what we see, obviously we don't know what goes on inside the locker room. We don't understand what the players' opinions of Brad are. And we could ne- I'd never try and pretend to. But um, from viewing through the TV, hearing the press conferences, there's somewhere along the line his message just isn't being conveyed, and that's the big issue for me. Yeah, no, this is really interesting to me. I hadn't really thought about it like that. What's your concerns with him? I know you said you've got an opinion, so you might as well just give us the opinion. Oh, I don't. I, I, my my concerns are just the the way that people talk about him. Like I think it's just, I like I think he's been good. Like I, I don't I don't understand. Um, I mean, part of it's because I don't. I mean, I'm, I don't cover Boston. I don't live in Boston, but. Uh, I, I think ultimately, again, I, I, I mean, part of it's just I think fans get a little bit too caught up in their own roster and not recognizing, you know, if this team is not as good as they were last year, you know, and the same thing with the Pacers. Like, it's something that I've tried to um, convey to people like, hey, you know, this team is just not as good as they were last year. And it happens. And I'm just trying to find that balance of uh, blaming the coach or the well, I personally don't like blaming anybody. I just like watching the game and going from there. But um, yeah, trying to find the right amount of expectations and um, understanding is uh, difficult, <laughs> I guess would be the way to put it. But it's, I mean, too, it's difficult because like you had, I mean, he was, it's hard too because he was he was able to overperform with these teams with like Jared Sollinger and when Avery, Avery Bradley is like a third or fourth year player in the league. Like, uh, so I guess it is different when you look at, at how it is then, but also the East was a lot worse then, so I genuinely feel like sometimes you can be a victim of your own success. Yeah. Um, and I think that's where Brad Stevens is at the moment. He's had so much, um, I wouldn't say it's like ridiculous success because he hasn't took him to the finals or to a championship, but he's had consistent success in consistently making deep playoff runs with subpar rosters previously that people just expect that he has this magic one that no matter how poor that bench is and no matter how poor your starting um, power forward is or four now um, that he's going to make it work. And sometimes it just cannot happen. Not when a team is as um, 
top heavy as this one and not when in a season like this where there's just no time to implement things on the practice court so um it's i understand it but and i understand that um pro sports across any sport is very much what have you done for me lately and yeah opinions change very quickly but i try and look at things from a bigger picture and understand that we're barely halfway through um there's a lot of things that we're starting to see implemented now that we haven't previously and i'm sure every team is starting to implement new wrinkles to their offense at this point just to keep scouting reports fresh and make sure that they can try and get the advantage over their opponent so being completely against a player or a lineup or a coach at this juncture of the year to me is just uh it's just ludicrous yeah yeah i would agree with that 100 percent. like i i don't i don't i think it's uh it is it, it, it there's, there just needs to be a little bit more patience i think would be the way to put it yeah and it's tough right like um i get upset sometimes i, don't, I know you say you try and stay uh quite removed from a fan point and you just like to watch just sometimes where i'm just like man that was a really bad defensive coverage. Then it happened straight again. And I'm like, man, that was really bad. And then the third time, I'm like, are you kidding me? Three times in a row. Yeah. Uh, but I try and remind myself that if I was on the floor doing that, then it would happen 15 times in a row. So, <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean? Like, um, I, try and, I try and be as realistic as possible and just enjoy it. But there are times where it does become frustrating. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, I agree. Like, I mean, the, the things I get upset about are like if uh, – if a guy like, I mean, like Gogo Pataze, first round pick for the team, he played three minutes yesterday. Like, come on, man. Like, you got it. Like, that, that's, the, that's the small things like that. Like, or Edmund Sumner doesn't play. Um, like, like, those are the things that get frustrating. Or, like, if you watch, like, a, a scheme that you know, uh, like, you see it get burned and then they go back to it or they do something that's just, it, it doesn't make sense at all. Or, like, if you, if you see a guy close out on, on a non shooter, like, it's just the little things like that. So, I, I, I totally totally concur with that or one that always gets me and i don't know if you agree with this but my opinion is if you're um operating if you're defending and pick and roll and you're the weak side wing and you don't rotate quick enough to tag the roll man um don't try and tag him from behind once he's basically been stopped by another rotation guy just stay home on your wing player right do you ever see that happen because jason tatum is notorious for this he will time his role his rotation late so he always misses his tagging position and then just starts chasing the rolling big man trying to get a hand on him to be like hey i tagged him and uh it's really frustrating because then there's always an open shot on the wing and to me that has to be a scheme because otherwise brad stevens would have chewed him out by this point and uh that things like that get frustrating i don't know if your opinion on um getting in front and tagging the role man is uh you don't you don't see the issue with somebody tagging from the rear view Oh, I mean, yeah, I, I agree. Like, I think part of it's just communication isn't always great. Um, yeah. And it's it's, there's no excuse when there's no crowd, though. That's fair. But I, I do think it's still, like, not easy to yeah. – or not that it's not easy yeah. to, like, excuse. Like, I, I don't know. I think part of my issue, too, is, like, I don't always – uh like – I, I mean, just in the moment, I don't know what the what the coach's call is, what what the what what defense he wants them to run, what what defense they're supposed to be running. Because sometimes I'll look at something and say, "Well, this guy clearly messed up," and then I can look back at it in a day and be like, "Okay, well, now that I know that, you know, in, in the coach's press conference, this is what he wanted running." Then, well, then, okay, all right, well, this guy didn't mess up, so it's uh, and then sometimes both guys might have messed up. It's uh, I, I don't know. It's 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 an interesting to look at it. 
is is and there's always like aspects that you pick out right like there's probably aspects of certain plays or schemes that you that the paces run that really just get under your skin and you're just like if if i had my way they wouldn't run it like this and uh that's just my one that's my only pet peeve with uh the Celtics pick and roll defense is they try and tag from the weak from the strong side wing and that just makes no sense to me whatsoever mm-hmm. i've um just never help off the strong side yeah, yeah, helping from the strong side doesn't make classes me. Either. Yeah, and then that's why Brad Stevens is getting a choose. Dave DeFore um, calls him Basic Brad, right? Like, have you, have <laughs> I you heard so. that? I, uh, I might have heard that before. That's pretty good. I find that quite funny. I'll, I think no, I'm typing to Dave tomorrow, so I'll have to bring that up with him. Oh, really? Oh, that would yeah. be awesome. Um, what was I going to say? Yeah, I find that hilarious. And I love Brad, so there's nothing I've really got bad to say about him. So basically, to wrap up, you guys are going to be really – pressure um really high pressure defense on ball defense you're going to run a lot of uh, um weak side off ball actions on offense and then miles turner is going to continue to show everybody why everybody in boston wishes that miles turner was in boston yeah i I think he will um he's i mean he's been uh his his outside shot hasn't been as good lately but i think he's been driving and defensively yeah he he had a fantastic game against Golden State yesterday. So um any drives on the inside. I mean I know Jason Tatum's like getting to his floater lately. Um expect Miles to step up on that. Yeah. So uh I'm not gonna be too happy by the end of the paces game, I've got a feeling. Uh, the Celtics need to stop this slide, so I'm hoping they come out with a little bit of fire in them. Uh, we said that before Atlanta too and that didn't happen. So uh, everybody by the time you listen to this, uh the game's gonna be drawing in close. If you're listening to it after Friday because I won't release over the weekend We'll know the score. So uh, let, let me know how you're feeling about the team. Make sure to go and follow Mark. Mark, do you want to let everyone know where they can find you in your work, buddy? Yeah, you can find me at M. Schindler MBA on, uh, on Twitter. It's just spelled just like the list. I've never seen the movie, but that's the uh, easiest way to remember it. Um, you can also find a lot of my stuff at, uh, at Premium Hoops NBA. Um, that's on Twitter as well. Uh, PremiumHoops.org is where all that is at. Uh, and then also all my stuff's at Indy Cornrows that I cover the Pacers. So, uh, yeah, that would be... If you, if you want to check out any of my stuff, that's uh, that's the place. You guys won't be disappointed. I mean, what I say when I say that, he, in my opinion, Mark, it, Adam. No, I'm being serious, man. Mark's one of the the most in-depth, and he's getting a reputation for doing some great analysis at the moment. You'll see him getting shouted out consistently across social media. Uh, I'm shocked if you don't follow him already. Do you, You'll be doing yourself a disservice. Right, guys, um, hopefully the Celtics can get this W. If not, then I'll be very sad, Adam, on Monday, and it's going to make for really interesting listening. Um, if they do I'll be less sad Adam on Monday but either way you'll hear from me on Monday so thanks again guys make sure to leave that 5 star written review and rating and if you don't want to leave anything written that's completely fine just tell your friends and family instead